Were all of you here last night, everybody? Okay, good. So as a quick review, we started by defining discipleship. Don't worry, if you weren't here, you'll catch up really quick. Because we're just going to do a quick review to make sure we don't forget what we learned last night. A quick review of what discipleship is, the definition of discipleship. Can you tell me? A teacher-student relationship. And what else? What kind of relationship? A relationship of transformation. And we talked about how the Bible reveals Jesus Christ, right? And how much of the scripture will tell us about Jesus? All of the scripture. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that. And Jesus said it himself. We looked at those passages last night. And so we talked about how important it is to spend time in that transformational relationship. And the scripture is our main source of information, of relationship, of the teachings of Jesus. And someone once said to me, and this made a big impact on me, this statement, the extent to which we understand the teachings of Jesus, do you understand that? The extent to which we understand the teachings of Jesus is the extent to which we can view the rest of the scripture as his teachings. Isn't that wonderful? So where do we want to start? We want to start with understanding the teachings of Jesus. Because who is he in the teacher-student relationship? He's the master. He's our teacher. So when we understand his teachings, then we can understand the whole of Scripture as his teachings. And this is a very important thing. I want to um, illustrate something for us this morning and just ask you this question. How important is your breath to you? That's life, right? It's very important. And how often do you breathe? Is it a daily activity? Oh, daily, okay. Is it an hourly activity? Is it a by-minute activity? Yes, it's something that we do constantly. And if we don't do that, we in fact don't survive. Isn't that true? Is there anyone here who's good at holding your breath? Anyone? You have somebody who's good at holding their breath? How long do you think that you could hold your breath? Four minutes. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Do you know why that's so amazing? Because statistics show us that the average human being, and I'm going to bet that most of us in this room are below average, but the average human being can hold their breath for two minutes. Do you think you could hold your breath for two minutes? Do you want to try it? I have tried it with groups before, and I've only one time had someone make it longer than two minutes. Only once. Most everyone else can go for 30 seconds, possibly a minute, but over a minute. It's very difficult for most groups of people to go longer than that. But I've had someone make it to a minute, and only one time a person go longer than two minutes. So let me ask you this. Do you know what the world record for breath holding is? Do you want to take any guess? Six minutes? Seven minutes? Eight? Ten? Twenty? Does that sound absurd to you, 20 minutes? It is absurd. However, the world record for human being holding their breath is 22 minutes. 
22 minutes. <laughs> she asked, did they pass out afterwards? We ask that because that's very likely, right? Most of us were holding our breath for just a few minutes. We would probably pass out. And if we were holding our breath for that long, there would be damage to our bodies, right? Our major organs would be damaged. Our brain would be damaged because breathing is vital to our physical life. It's vital to our existence. The guy who held his breath for 22 minutes, you can look it up online, his name is Stig Sorensen, and he is a free diver. So he swims and dives, and in order to hold his breath for that long, he had to have very special conditions. First of all, he practiced for weeks leading up to breaking this record. His previous record was 20 minutes, and he went for two minutes longer than his previous record. But he had to submerge his body into ice-cold water to slow down all the systems of his body, and then he floated peacefully on the water with his face submerged for 22 minutes. He had someone in the water right next to him the entire time in case something went horribly wrong. And he had two other people standing on the deck of the, the freezing cold pool that he was in to safeguard him against harm because we need to breathe. And we don't recommend that any of you go home and try to break the world record for holding your breath. It could have serious, serious consequences. And when you're holding your breath, what happens? What sensations, what experiences do you have? Have you held your breath lately? Panic. A panic. Anyone have asthma? You begin to panic. So you have emotional reaction to it. And what does your body do? Okay, you, do you start to tremble maybe, or your lungs burn, you have that burning sensation? Maybe your throat starts to spasm as you're trying to hold it just a little bit longer? It's quite a full body experience if you're holding your breath. We need to breathe. We need to do it for life. If we don't breathe regularly, something serious can happen. Something seriously negative can happen. Desperation, panic, discomfort, all of these things happen when we don't breathe on a regular basis. Now also, breath is important for other things. Right? We can do a lot with wind and air. And I'm wondering, has anybody ever breathed in like a helium balloon? And that's funny, right? Because the helium is lighter than the air that we breathe. And because of that, it comes faster through our vocal cords, and it makes our vocal cords vibrate much faster than they vibrate when the regular weight of air is coming through there. And it makes our voices go up like this because it vibrates. So that doesn't happen with regular breath, but is there anyone who would like to come in and breathe in the air that I just blew into this balloon and see what happens? Any volunteers? Ooh, it's nice and warm. I see some condensation collecting there. Anyone? No volunteers? Why not? It's air. I brushed my teeth this morning. You don't want the air that's in here? It's mine? Why don't you want this? It's not fresh anymore? And you can get it on your own. You can get your own. Fresher than this, right? You wouldn't want to breathe this in, and I wouldn't encourage you to do it. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm clean, but this is not 
air that will necessarily sustain your life. But I want to ask you, is there ever a time in your life when you would be grateful for someone else's air, breath? When would that be? If you were choking, if you needed CPR, right? If you needed life support in order to sustain your life so that you could heal and breathe on your own again. So there are times when we would be grateful for the breath that I just let out of this balloon, right? But when you're healthy and normal and operating in a good way, you don't want to breathe somebody else's old stale air. You want your own. So why am I talking about breath and air when we are talking about discipleship and we're talking about engaging Jesus Christ and being his students? Well, let's go to the Bible and find out. Let's start in 2 Timothy. And I'm going to do a little teaching this morning, and then I have some activities for you to do to, to kind of process this information. Remember, discipleship is not a transfer of information. So if that's all I do with you today, we're doing just the very beginning. We need to move past that so that you can journey on your relationship of transformation. So we're going to have to use this information to build a relationship. Otherwise, it's just like, well, I can't say that. I'll give away my, okay. I can't say that yet. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And today, I'm going to start reading... In verse 14, in verse 14, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. What's happening? What is that describing right there? Uh, exactly. It's... It's describing a teacher-student relationship. It's descri describing a trust relationship. He says, continue in what you've learned because you know those who have taught it to you. There's a trust relationship happening there. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. And what does it say here about the Scriptures? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in whom? Jesus Christ. Oh, did you think we would get to Jesus sometime? <laughs> Again, we're talking about the scriptures and where do the scriptures lead us according to 2 Timothy chapter 3. They make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Is this talking about discipleship? Yes, it is. And we're adding another element here, a little bit of one, where we're seeing that there are people who are teaching the principles of discipleship that connect someone else to Jesus, right? And that trust is very important. So the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then this is what it says. All scripture, how much scripture? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, do you remember 
in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, what Jesus promised when he called his disciples, what he promised he would do. And we, we said that this is a growth process or a transformation process, right? So if Jesus is the teacher, what is his curriculum? What is he using to teach his teachings and to have a relationship with you? And right here in 2 Timothy, it tells us, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And what is faith in Jesus Christ? That's the relationship. That is trust, isn't it? We were just talking here at this table, what do you do with people in your life who, who don't know God or aren't following him and don't love him? How do you, how do you get them to trust Jesus? <laughs> yes. The best way to do it is to trust Jesus and let the results of that trust in your life be so obvious that others will ask you about it. Because you can't force someone else to trust Jesus. And there will be times when things happen in people's lives when trust in God is impossible for them. Understand that. When trust in God is impossible for them, but who will they trust? You. Did you know that trust and people's trust is an item of stewardship in the kingdom of heaven? We don't often include it. We include other resources, like our money and our time and other things like that. But other people's trust in you is a resource in the kingdom of heaven, of which we need to be good stewards. It's not always the goal to connect people to Jesus. They're not always ready for that. They're not always ready to trust God or to love him or to know him. They will learn to know him through you because they can trust you. I, I had a friend that was uh, my personal trainer at the gym. That's how we met, at the gym, just a random, and he was an atheist. And we would have all kinds of conversations while I was training at the gym. And he asked me all these questions and we'd have great conversations. And I learned very quickly that if I ever mentioned anything about God or the Bible, conversation came to an abrupt stop. So I thought, well, we can't have that happening. But he knew who I was, because you know, you get to know each other at the beginning of something. He knew who I was, that I was a Christian and that I was a pastor and all of these things. And so I found a way to talk to him with scripture and with the words of Jesus by just not telling him where those ideas came from. And he began to think that I was the wisest, most amazing, insightful person that he had ever met. And we came up with a little code because I knew that I couldn't just take credit for the teachings of Jesus. And so I would always say whenever he was drawn in by something that we were talking about, I would always say to him, well, it's not an original thought. And that was our key word that he knew I was speaking from my faith experience, that I was speaking from the scripture. And he could handle that. He couldn't handle if I ever said the Bible says or Jesus teaches. Do you know why? Because the Bible and Jesus were not an authority in his life. He, couldn't, he did not have trust in them. But who did he have trust in? You. Me. And so I can use that trust relationship to influence others on behalf of the kingdom without ever having to open the script, 
to sit down and have a Bible study or to say the name of Jesus or the name of God until they are ready to put their trust in him. Because if we can introduce people to the teachings of Jesus and they can accept his teachings, eventually he will teach them that he is Lord. Do you understand? Because that's part of his teachings. If they learn to trust in his teachings that they can accept, eventually when they get to the part about him being Lord, they'll say, wow, I've been able to agree with all of the things up until now. Maybe I can agree with this. You understand how that works? Our trust relationships with people are very important. But the end goal is not for us to breathe for them. Anyone? Right? The goal, number one, is for us to breathe for ourselves. And then to, after life support or CPR or whatever, we need to help someone else along when they're alive and well for them to breathe on their own. For them to be unhooked from the ventilator. That's a good thing, right? We want people to breathe on their own. We don't want them to be dependent on us for their life and for their breath. But listen to what it says. All scripture is God-breathed. Your, your Bible might say inspired by God. But it literally means to be breathed by God. God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Does that sound like this process is happening? It's an equipping process. It's a making process. And what is the source of this? All scripture. But why does it make this change? Because scripture will make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Where does Jesus say the life is? In, in scripture, but not through the information of scripture, through himself. Remember John 5.39. If you ever forget this, just think of John 5.39. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me for life. So how do we know that the scriptures bring life? I always find this little word interesting. All scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? Have you, I mean, that's strange, right? All scripture is God-breathed. And we read over that and we're like, oh, that's so wonderful, but do we really know what it means? Can you think of a place in scripture where it talks about God-breathing? Another place in scripture. Creation. Creation. So let's go look at that story in the book of Genesis. <clears throat> we'll find this in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And we're, we're looking here because we want to really understand what it means when that scripture is God-breathed. What significance does that have, if any? And here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, and this is, of course, during creation, God has finished creating the world and filling it and forming it, and the last final crowning act of, of creation is his special, special creation. And this is what it says. The Lord formed man from the dust of the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The man became a living being. So what happens when God breathes? Life. Life happens. The power of life happens when God breathes. So when the scripture tells us that all scripture is God-breathed, what is innately implied there? That the scripture is full of life, life-giving power. And think about how much power. When God breathed into Adam and the man became a living being, how many times did God need to breathe in order for that to happen? Once. And how many times after that, from then until now, did God have to breathe to sustain the whole of human history? How many times? Once. So is there power in the breath of God? My goodness, there is life-giving power in the breath of God. And just like we need air for our physical bodies, and how often do we breathe? Every minute, every moment, constantly we breathe. And do we ever say to ourselves, eh, I'm not going to breathe today. I don't have time to breathe. I'm not excited about breathing. Do we ever say that? No, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? But imagine what we rob ourselves from when we forget to breathe the breath of God from the scriptures. I bet most of us spend our lives breathing second-hand air and being satisfied with that. But you wouldn't do it for your body. So why would you do it for your soul? It doesn't make sense. If you're on life support for your body, something is wrong. Don't you think so? So if you are on life support for your spiritual connection to your teacher, if there is someone between you and God, if you are not opening up the pages of the scripture for yourself and taking a fresh breath, are you being robbed? Something's wrong. You are not living the fullness of life that is available to you through the word of God in Jesus Christ, for the scripture is good to make you wise unto salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you think that would make a difference in your life? So I want to ask you, is it any wonder when we don't make it a priority to breathe fresh air from the word of God, that our lives begin to feel desperate and chaotic just like our bodies do when we hold our breath? So I want to ask you this question this morning. How long have you been holding your breath? Are you breaking the world record right now for holding your breath? By not coming to Jesus for a fresh breath of your own? Imagine if one breath from God can sustain all of human history from Adam until the very breath that you and I have taken right now. Imagine the power of life that is in these pages to transform you, to change your life. 
and you're not forced to breathe it, but you're not forced to breathe your breath either, and you voluntarily take a breath every moment, whenever you need it. So, does everyone agree that it is important, just like breathing for our bodies, it is important for us to come in first-hand contact with the fresh breath of God through the scripture? Yes. So this morning, I want to take the rest of the time that we have to help you make a plan or to enhance your current plan to breathe in the fresh breath, the fresh air of God. And what are we going for when we're spending time in the Word? Thank you. That's simple, isn't it? We're going for relationship. We're going for life. We're not just going for information or education. And for those of you who teach others about the Word of God, you're not simply going there for your next lesson plan. You need to experience it first. That's going to be the most convincing lesson that you can share with someone else. You can show them the scripture all you want, but it's going to really impact them when you tell them why that particular scripture is meaningful to you and what difference it's made in your life because they can't argue with that. They can argue with the scripture, but when you tell them why it's important to you and how it changed your life, no one can argue with that, and it might draw them in. It might, say, might make them say, man, I want that. I wish I could have that. And then you can tell them, you can. You don't have to be on life support. Let me show you these simple things that you can do to take a breath for yourself. So first of all, I want you to take a look at these 10 questions. There's a page in front of you that says 10 questions. Does everybody have it? Now, I do not want you to get discouraged in any way reading and answering these questions. These are for you. I will have you talking amongst yourselves at your tables there so that we can kind of journey together because although our relationship with Christ, we don't want it to be secondhand, it never happens outside of the context of community. Okay, so we have our personal relationship with Jesus, but it should always be happening in the context of community, sharing where we are journeying and what we're doing and our experience with Christ. And don't you think it might strengthen you to be encouraged by someone else who's on that journey? We cannot hoard that relationship to ourselves. So sharing and talking and working it out together is part of being a disciple. Did you notice how many disciples Jesus had? A whole group. He didn't just take one-on-one. -on -one. Occasionally it was one-on-one -on -one when someone was sneaking in at night to, to talk to him, right? <laughs> Occasionally it was one-on-one, -on -one, but he always connected them back to community, always. So let's take a look at these 10 questions. And what I would like for you to do is just take a couple of minutes and answer these questions very simply, yes or no, for yourself. Very simply, yes or no. And if one of these questions particularly is difficult for you to answer or convicts you deeply, just put a little star by that. What we're doing is just taking a little snapshot of where we are in our personal connection to Jesus and our process of discipleship.
And by the way, I want you to know that these questions are not there because I have mastered all of them. Okay? <laughs> this is not me saying I have all this down. I'm just challenging you. No, 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 no. These are challenging questions for me as well. Okay, is everyone done answering the 10 questions? Just talk to me a little bit about that experience. Were you challenged by anything on that page? It's challenging, isn't it? Anybody want to share particularly anything there that challenges you? I know it takes a moment of vulnerability, but you know, we're in a safe place. That's your friend's, your friend's questioning. Interesting. Is that a common thing that happens? Yes. It really is. When you have a person who says, look, I don't believe in, in the Bible because stuff in there is just not possible. It's not possible for humanity. And it shouldn't be. Like, grace is too gracious. Mm -hmm. 
Some people don't deserve it. Forgiveness, that's hard. How can we forgive someone who does a heinous thing? Right? No, it's not easy. But Jesus can help us understand that. And I'll tell you what, there are no more relevant teachings in the world than the teachings of Jesus Christ for humanity. When you think about some of the major tenets of Christianity or Christ's teachings, I won't say Christianity because sometimes Christianity as an organization, as an institution, does a terrible job of representing the teachings of Jesus. So let's just say the teachings of Jesus. <laughs> but imagine forgiveness. Is that something that is a big need in the world today? Imagine relieving human suffering. Is that a, one of the teachings of Jesus? Is that a need in our world today? What about peaceful approach to conflict? Is that a need in our world today? When, when you introduce people to the teachings of Jesus, very few people will deny that those things are great needs in the world today. So even if they can't accept Jesus as God, and even if they can't accept everything that he says, you can begin with the things that they will look at and say, oh man, that does really match the needs of our world today. Because the teachings of Jesus, no other teachings fulfill the greatest needs of mankind in our world today than the teachings of Jesus. And most people, even atheists, won't disagree with that. They don't have to accept him as God, but they most likely would say, well, the teachings of Jesus, and in fact, some of the, the loudest-mouthed atheists um, that are entertainers and whatever, I don't know if any of you know Bill Maher or some of these other commentators who just are against Christianity, speak highly of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. They just don't think that they see Christians living out those teachings. So... In any case, this, these 10 questions are challenging, and all they do is give us kind of a, a, a marking point of where we are in our commitment level, in our journey, in, in our transformation stages with Jesus. How much of our lives have we been willing to put under his lordship? So these things will change and grow as you spend time with him, right? Because who is doing the transformation? He is. So how is that gonna happen? You're gonna spend time with him. You're gonna breathe in the word of God and just like your physical body is sustained and awakened by the breath that you take, new life will come to you as you journey and engage and breathe in the scriptures. So wherever you are today can be more alive tomorrow when you spend time in the word of God. Is that good news? Amen. That is good news. So I'm gonna give you some very practical tips, secrets for spending time alone with God. Because we need it, don't we? Just like we need to breathe, we need to do this. And so there was a long time in my, in my life when I wasn't sure how to get more than just an education or how to do more than just punch my spiritual time clock in my time alone with God. Have you ever felt like that's what you're doing? You just have your worship so that you don't feel guilty that you skipped it, <laughs> right? Or you skip it for so many weeks in a row that you're just thinking, what's the point? And it's hard to get into the routine. And that's why I have the number one secret of time alone with God is number one, establish a habit. 
establish a habit. So I actually am going to ask you to make a plan before we go today. Make a plan and share it with the people at your table. So as I'm talking through these things, if you're getting an idea, jot it down on your piece of paper because you are going to take action on this. This is not just for me telling you. This is something for you to do and to take responsibility for. Do you want to breathe fresh air? Do you want to unhook from the ventilator? Yes, they're going to, they're going to intubate, what do they call extubate you. You're going to get extubated today. Amen. You're going to be able to start breathing on your own. And maybe you already have a habit. And if you do, awesome. That's great. Share what works for you with the people around you because you may be able to encourage them. You may be able to give them a new idea. If something that you're doing is working for you. If we don't share these things, how can we encourage each other? How can we even know that someone next to us has a need? We need to talk about these things. And it feels kind of intimate and kind of personal. But listen, isn't that why we're here together? If we can expose ourselves to each other about how we're doing in our time alone with God, we can grow. We can encourage each other. So don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Jesus is not embarrassed by you. You don't need to be embarrassed by yourself. Besides, whoever you're sharing with has their own problems, right? So you don't need to be embarrassed. Number one, establish a habit. So you know what this means? And I want you to do this right now. This means choose a time and a place to have your time alone with God. How many morning people do we have in here? How many night owls do we have? How many middle of the day people? You're not a morning person or a night owl, okay. So I just want to encourage you that not everyone's time is going to be the same time of day. You know, I've often heard people say first thing in the morning, I believe in that. In fact, I don't get out of my bed until I have spoken with God. The first consciousness is my thoughts going to God before I put my feet on the ground. And I encourage you to do that too. Start your day off right and say, Lord, before I put my feet on the ground, I commit this day to you, my plans and everything in it. Reveal your plans for me today, to my, before you put your feet on the ground. But if you're more alert to spend time in the Word at another time of day, don't feel guilty about that, but make sure you commit to that time. That's the most important part. If you know that your day is going to get busy and you're not going to commit to that time, then pick another time. Do it first thing in the morning. Do it last thing before you go to bed. <clears throat> yes? Yes, that's exactly. That's it. You see it right there. T-A-G, time alone with God. God really does want you to do this. Does he want you to do this because he wants to control you? Why does he want you to do this? So you can be alive. That's why he wants it. He wants goodness for you. He has so many blessings for you. He has fresh air to breathe into your life. He wants to waken up the parts of you that are dead. He wants to revive the parts of you that are dying or trampled. He wants to bring life into your life. And through you and the life he brings to you, he wants to bring life to others. Remember when he was talking to the woman at the well, what did he say? The, the light, living water that will spring up from within you and overflow. That's what he wants. It's not just for you. Did you know that? It's for the people who trust you who don't trust him yet. 
It's for the people you love. It's a blessing for you and your family and your community. So establish a habit. That means make a time appointment and pick a place. And I would like for you to write that time and place on your piece of paper. And tomorrow morning or tomorrow whatever time of the day you've chosen, you're going to try it. <laughs> and don't worry, I have a little thing for you so that you can start with something, okay? So establish a habit. Number two, keep it simple. Keep it simple. If you overcomplicate your time alone with God, you will skip it because of the busyness of your day and the complexity of your life. Don't make it difficult. In fact, I like to leave my things out right there ready for me. So all I have to do is at the right time, go to the right place and everything is there. Keep it simple. You don't have to do a deep, deep Bible study for your devotional time. I encourage deep Bible study, but right now we're talking about our devotional time. There are two things that we should be doing in our spiritual lives. One is our devotional time, and number two, we should be studying the Bible. But these two are different. Okay, so devotional time should happen daily. Daily. Bible study, I think you should probably do that a couple hours a week at least. That's where you go deeper, deeper, deeper. How do you choose what you're going to study? Probably you'll find it during your devotional time. Right? You'll find that during your devotional time. Um, so establish habit. Keep it simple. Number three, have a plan. Have a plan for what you're going to do during your devotional time. I know there's a lot of people who just like to wake up in the morning and say, okay, that's good. That could work. If that's your plan, that could work. But if you don't have a plan, sometimes just coming up with what you're going to do can be so overwhelming that you decide to skip it. Do you hear the theme? We want to prevent ourselves from skipping it. We don't want to hold our breath. If you hold your breath that day, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start burning and feeling uncomfortable and desperate, right? We don't want to get to that point. So we want to have a plan. So here's what I do for my plan, and there are many, many, many ways to do this, but I recommend, number one, having a daily reading plan, whatever that is, but a daily reading plan for the scripture. You can choose a book that you're going to read, a book of scripture that you're going to read. You can have a Psalms or Proverbs reading plan. The one that has worked for me really well is called the One Year Bible reading plan. Now you can even print the reading plan off the internet that gives you your little portion of scripture for each day, or you can actually get the one-year Bible that organizes the scripture in daily readings, and it covers the entire Bible in a year. So, what's the date today? March, April. Oh my goodness. Is it April 2015 already? Okay, April... And it's just like a devotional book almost, only it's pure scripture, 100%. So I would turn to today's date. Is that easy or what? I don't have to think. I don't have to do anything. My plan is to let this do my thinking for me. I open up to today's date, and I have a reading. And in the one-year Bible, what I like is it combines a portion of the Old Testament, of the New Testament, something from Psalms, and something from Proverbs. So, so no matter what you're reading, there's always something there for you. If you find the Old Testament to be particularly dry that day, don't worry. You have the New Testament solved in Proverbs to find something. But I read from my one-year Bible. 
It gives me something to do every day of the year. So it doesn't matter what day I'm on, I can open up and have something to do. And from there, I do my other things, record my experience and share with others. But I just want to say, number one, get yourself a reading plan, whatever that is, and know what it is you're going to do. Don't decide on the day of what you're going to do. Plan ahead. Number four, have a backup plan. So are there days when you're going to be rushed? When your regular plan just seems like it just, I don't have time for that? You wouldn't not breathe. So you say, okay, I'm going to just take a shorter breath, right? I'm going to do something. I'm still going to breathe, but I'm going to tailor this to the availability of my day, right? So you may have to change your time that day. I don't recommend it. The more you commit to the time and appointment that you've set, the more likely you are to keep it. But for my backup plan, I have a few different things. I have an app on my phone, my Bible app, which, by the way, has my one-year Bible in it. So I can just pop it up and my one-year Bible is there. There's also a, a Proverbs reading plan. How many chapters are there in the book of Proverbs? Do you know? 31. Does that number sound familiar? How many days do we have in most months? 30 to 31 days. So as a backup plan, if I don't have time to read my full reading for my one-year Bible, which does happen on occasion, I have a backup plan. And what do I do? I do the proverb of the day. Do you know how easy that is? Today is April 4th. What proverb would I read? Proverbs chapter 4. Does that make sense? It's a plan that I have to sabotage myself from being lazy and quitting. That's why I love to plan and organize. Really, my husband thinks it's like because I like to control things, but it isn't. It's because I'm lazy. I don't want to have to think about it. That's why I make a plan. That's why I like to put things where they belong, because when I want to look for it and find it, I want it to be there. I don't want to waste energy, because I'm lazy, right? So I make plans and make structures and habits and routines not to be in control, not, but not to expend extra energy that's unnecessary. Does that make sense? Uh, at least it works for me. So have a plan, have a backup plan. Another backup plan that I have is on my Bible app, there is a, a daily scripture passage that they just, this is your scripture of the day. So that is the sent to my phone daily. So if I need scripture, I have set up my world so that I have access to my, my breathing plan at any time. If you are an audio person, find the audio Bible app is amazing. If you have a commute or somewhere, you can get in the car every morning and listen to the word of God. Maybe you're not a reader. If you can listen, you can do that. And I want to emphasize that we're not talking about listening to sermons or to, to podcasts or to other things. We're talking about the scripture, the word of God, firsthand word of God. Supplement that with whatever else Great books, great sermons, devotional books, all of that. But make your main focus of your time alone with God the Word of God. There's no replacement for it. If you, if you have a great devotional book that you love, do it in the evening. If you're, if you're having your scripture time in the morning, read your devotional at night. Or if you read your scripture at night, read your devotional in the morning. If there's something else you want to include in your spiritual journey, 
do it. There's a lot of great material out there. There's a lot of wonderful teachers that can lead you in the right direction. But don't forsake the scripture. That's the only place you're getting the fresh breath of your own. So do that. Have a backup plan. Number five, record your experience. There are many, many ways to do this. Now, I know if I say the word journaling, some of you are going to cringe. I don't do that. But journaling is a wonderful way to keep a, a record of your journey with Jesus, of your experience with the Word of God. Not only that, my journal is my prayer life. This is how I pray. Once I've read my scripture reading for the day, I choose a verse or two within that reading that really spoke to me that day. Because you can just read it and run on, but let me tell you, it's not going to stick with you. No matter how deeply it impacted you at that moment, the first thing that hits in your day is going to erase it, unless you record it somehow. And then also when you record it, you can go back to it to trace your journey, to see what you, how you processed. And you can also use that record to share with others, which is number six. Share with someone what you're learning. Have you ever heard the adage, you learn better when you teach? Is that true? It's very true. So don't keep it to yourself. If you have learned something and experienced God in a special way, find someone that day to share it with. Most people are not going to say, please, keep that to yourself. Okay, it depends on how you share it. But if you say, man, would you mind if I shared with you what happened to me today? I just, I read this beautiful verse, and this is what it meant to me. This is what I heard God say, and this is the difference that it's going to make in my life. I mean, who's going to, no one is going to interrupt you. Don't take, waste a whole bunch of their time, but practice sharing. And then you'll engage people in the conversation like this gentleman does with his friend. Tell them what makes a difference for you, what you heard from God, how you responded to what you heard from God. People would appreciate hearing that. They may be encouraged in their own lives. Isn't that wonderful? And how is it for you to receive that? You love it. It's like fresh air, isn't it? So uh, recording your experience. I want to give you just some practical tips, and I know we're out of time, so I don't want to keep you from church. Um, recording your experience. There are a couple of things that you can do to record your experience. I did say that journaling is one of them. What's that? <laughs> yeah. Yes, you can do it on Facebook, too. Um, just don't post scripture without commenting what it means to you. Yes. Nothing annoys me more than people who just post quotes. Why are you posting that? That doesn't tell me anything about you. Mm. Tell me why you put it there. Yes. Tell me what it means to you. You know, even if I agree with the quote, that doesn't help my relationship with you. Or even if I disagree with the quote, I don't know what you think about it. How can I comment? Mm -hmm. Put your feelings, your thoughts, put how it affected you there. Use Facebook if you want to. That's fine. One thing I do, if there's a scripture that's particularly impactful to me, I, just, I have this little neat thing that I just got at the dollar store. It's ring-bound cards, and I just write that scripture right there. That's one way that you can do it. If you're really simple and you don't want to write anything down, get a highlighter or a pen and underline it in your Bible. That is the least amount of commitment that you can make, but if that's all you've got, do it. Okay, do it. Underline it so that when you're flipping through your Bible again, you see it there. 
Record your journey, even if it's just underlining. Write the scripture down. Get a journal. I don't use fancy journals. This is it. 99 cents or less. I found a sale, 50 cents a piece at Office Depot at the beginning of the school year, these things were. And whenever I see sales like that, I stock up because this is where I record my journal, right here in these composition books. They're not that durable. You can see this one is falling apart. But um, they're great because they have these nice lined pages where you can just write in your journal. Journaling? No, 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 no. It's not a woman thing because I know many, many men who do it. Because I'll tell you what I'm not writing in there. That's not a diary. That's not a book of my feelings. I am responding directly to scripture there. In fact, I have a method for journaling and I did not bring, which I have for you, which maybe I can send to your pastor to give to you, is a packet of exercises that explain step-by-step step how to do some of this stuff, including journaling. I use a soap journaling method where number one, I write the scripture word for word, the one that I'm responding to. I write it word for word, that's S, scripture. O is for observation. I write what I see there in the scripture itself, not my own idea, but what the scripture says. And then the A is for application. What does it mean to my life? How will I apply that to my life? And the P is for prayer. That's my response to God. So my journal is actually my prayer life. It is the scripture, God teaching me, and then it's my response to God. It's not a book of my feelings, just in case some of you gentlemen have trouble expressing your feelings, but um, if journaling is not for you, find a way to record your, your journey. And I also use my app to just highlight or bookmark a passage of scripture so that I can find it later. Are those tips helpful for you? Do you think that you can do these six steps and begin practicing them right away? It's not too difficult, is it? Uh, to help you get started, I have these little devices. This is a 10-day discipleship challenge. And for every day, you have a little card that has a scripture passage, something for you to think about, and something for you to do. A very simple exercise. For example, this first one is, you read Matthew 4, 18 to 20. Does that sound familiar? And then it says, choose a special time to meet with Jesus every day. Step one, find a simple place where you can take your Bible, read a passage of scripture, and pray about it. And then here's what you think about. What does this story from that scripture passage tell me about Jesus? And then live it. How does Jesus want me to practice what I learned in my world today? Okay, it's just a simple thing that will help you engage with the scripture and put it into your life. And if you do this 10-day challenge, it will help you establish your habit and to kind of fill out your identity as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to stop. Let's just have a word of prayer. Make sure that you get one of these before you go. I have a whole box right here. And I recommend that you take two because day number two says, find and invite someone to participate in the discipleship challenge with you. Because remember, it's done in community. So take two, one for you and one to invite someone to join you. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for the invitation. And we thank you that long ago you thought to give us fresh breath, 
that we don't have to be sustained on a stale old breath or on someone else's breath, that through your scriptures, through the word of God, that you have provided for us fresh breath that we can have firsthand, that will help us be wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, and that will equip us and transform us in the school of discipleship with you as our master. We thank you and praise you for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So don't forget your discipleship challenge.